Here we go. We're Rumination Thursday on November the 10th in the year of our Lord 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Good morning, Wes. Good morning, Tom. How are you? I'm doing very good, and I really kind of appreciate uh, another article that you have found. I, I've often thought, and I've done this occasionally, to go over the various Christian faiths as a Lutheran uh, telling an adult instruction class where we agree and where we disagree so that they come to a better understanding of, of Christianity and God. What you have is an article entitled, What I've Learned from Other Denominations. And he goes through seven groups, Roman Catholics, Lutherans, Calvinists, Baptists, Evangelical, the Apologetics Movement, Pentecostal, and the Wesleyan Holiness. Now, though he says he was brought up as a Roman Catholic, right now he's a minister of the Salvation Army, which I found kind of interesting. And he has the rank of lieutenant in the Salvation Army Central Territory. His name is Justin Steckbauer, and he goes through the various faiths. Now, as soon as I got this, and I heard he was talking about Lutheranism, I wanted to take a look what he thought about Lutheranism. And what did he say about that? Well, he uh, really uh, appreciated Luther. Uh, Luther, he found the, the value of all sufficiency of Christ. Everything is about Jesus Christ, and he is the Savior. Yes, and so he indicates that he's the one who washes away our sins. Of the millions of sins on a record, there is not even one I can scrub away on my own. I could scrub all day. I could scrub, repent, and do good deeds all the day long, but I can't wash away sin. Only Jesus can do that. Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the atonement for sin. Jesus, as you said, is sufficient. And then he ends on that note, thank you, Luther, for that. So that's what he found in Lutheranism. And I can't figure out why he's not Lutheran. That's That I wonder, too. Which, by the way, is, is a little bit of trivia question. Uh, why do we celebrate November 11th as Lutheran Day? Well, that's Armistice Day, isn't it? Well, November 11th, or, or I should say, excuse me, November 10th. Why do we oh. celebrate November 10th as Lutheran Day? Why is that? Luther was born on November 10th, 1483. Oh, so this is his birthday today. Yeah, today's his birthday. Tomorrow's his baptism day. Oh, he was baptized the day after he was born? 
And it was one of the uh, one of the articles I read that November 11th he was baptized. Oh, excellent! So he talks a lot about baptism. Now this individual does not really make a point about what is different in these religions in contrast to Christianity from the Bible. But what does he say about Roman Catholicism? Well, he values it with the concepts like the liturgy, the physical manifestations of faith, whatever those are, the candle burning, the confession of faith is repeated, the smell of incense, the stained glass windows, the wafers, the wine in the mouth. He talks about all those things, but he doesn't talk about it. You know, what what do they believe, teach, and confess? That's a really good point that you make, that he looks at the outward manifestations of the Roman Catholic Church. He appreciates the beauty of the physical in the ornate chapels and basilicas of the Catholic faith. And he does talk about the reciting of the truths of the Christian faith, brings a fresh theological depth to the increasingly lukewarm, shallow Christianity of today. And I I would kind of agree with that, is that in Roman Catholicism, they speak the creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, and they do have a repetition of of liturgy, but you're really quite correct. He says they guide us toward a more theologically deep and meaningful practice of our faith, saying that physical manifestations can remind us that God is the God of our world. Now, I don't know what he means by that. Do you? I didn't either. I I, uh, found it wanting. And I think he kind of repeats himself on the others, which, you know, as he talks about these various denominations, I broke it down into three groups, Roman Catholicism, Lutheranism, and Reform. Many of these other denominations that he brings up really come out of a Reformed theology, out of Swingley and John Calvin. Yes. In fact, that is one of them he talks about is Calvinism, where he says that that is an offshoot of the Reformation movement started by Luther. And John Calvin was very focused on predestination and developed the tulip, the five main points of Calvinism. Now, do you remember what tulip means? I knew you were going to ask that. T for total depravity, U for unconditional election, L for limited atonement, I irresistible grace, and P for perseverance of the saints. That is excellent that you have that. And part of the problem here is he talks about that John Calvin was focused on predestination. 
But what does that refer to? It's referring to, from Calvin's point of view, God has already decided who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. And if you aren't part of the elect, then there's no way that you can become a Christian. Okay, they use a passage out of Ephesians 1, uh, and it was like your comment on, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, blameless in it before him, that we were already chosen. So that's predestination. Yes. Now he does say, though I strongly disagree theologically with some of the five points of TULIP, there was a lot of good to learn from Calvinism. The most important truth I took was the utterly high respect in regard for the scripture. They call this biblical inerrancy. Now, that's also true in Lutheranism, but you can believe the Bible is inerrant, but then not understand it correctly. And that's what we believe about Calvinism that he does not understand properly the distinctions between law and gospel, predestination, and so forth. And, and therefore, this really isn't spoken of in the article. He just says he strongly disagrees with some of the five points, but doesn't go into what are those five points that he disagrees with. Well, he does that all the way through. I mean, he, even with Lutheranism, he gave a, a small paragraph, which really, I mean, he was very uh, very right on Jesus as the reason and sufficiency, but, but he doesn't go into all the other aspects of it, especially baptism. He does not, though, say anything negative about Lutheranism. No as he did right. about Calvinism. You know, no, I, I would agree with you. I mean, he's not negative, but uh, it's, it's just kind of like, uh, you, you know, uh, you get uh, a veneer, a wood, you get a piece of wood, and uh, you put a veneer top on it, and it's not completely wood all the way through. It may be laminate, maybe uh, a composite of stuff, but he, he doesn't go further into the depths of it. Yes. In other words, he does think that inerrancy by Calvinism is really good, but then he goes on to say, I find that Christians give lip service to the Word of God, Instead, they seem to live by whatever the latest pop philosophical or psychological trend is, or by whatever the news media and pop academic establishment repeat. Now, I, I really do agree with that, that yeah, we've got that, has, that kind of theology. And that has more to do with Christianity, uh, uh, American style, 
than it does with with just Calvinism. This this we can see in just about every denomination out there that uh, they play lip service to the word uh, and uh, not take the word as as uh, its truth and purity. Exactly. So because Calvinists teach the inerrancy of the Bible, he gives them more credit than we would in understanding the Bible properly, although he does say that he really disagrees with some of the tulip ideas, but doesn't go into them. Uh, It's like unconditional grace or some of the things that you mentioned would be contrary to the script. Yes, limited atonement. Right, and and, uh, he he would have been able to hit more positives if he hit into Lutheranism, and especially, I think, in the area of baptism, in our baptismal grace that Luther talks about in his small catechism. Yes. Then he talks about the Baptist evangelical movement and says... This represents so many churches across the country. My grandpa got saved in the Baptist Evangelical Church. So did my mom. And I later joined a Baptist Evangelical Church and attended faithfully for several years where I was baptized and born again. Here I really took the importance of sharing the gospel. Usually we think of sharing the gospel as the job of the minister of the elders. But that's not biblical. It's the job of every single Christian to know it and share it with others. This lit my faith a fire when I realized the great need of the world for Jesus. And he says he got that from the Baptist evangelical movement. And, and there's no doubt that there are many Baptists who believe in the necessity of telling others about Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, w- I would would agree with that. But uh, did you catch that he was baptized in the Baptist church? But, he, you know, he started out as a Roman Catholic. Uh, makes me wonder if he was baptized twice there. Yes, and then you've got the situation where he's now with the Salvation Army. So for some reason, he left even the Baptist Church, which he is quite positive about. In other words, this is an article where he tries to find the good in each denomination, even though at times he says, well, I really disagree theologically with what they're saying. But I think the article would be far better if he would indicate what theological areas he's having problems with. Now, do you do that in adult instruction? Well, uh, yeah, I take the time to to explain uh, different tenets of, of how we look at uh, uh, at our faith, especially in the, in the second article of the Apostles' Creed, which talks about Christ's humiliation and exaltation. And... and uh, what it, what it means uh, for our salvation. 
the other area is, is, is especially in the area of baptism and as a sacrament and how we can use our baptism daily in our lives. And thirdly, the, the Lord's Supper, the differences in the views of this is my body, this is my blood between Roman Catholic and Reformed and Lutheran. Yes, the Baptists don't believe officially that this is the body and blood of Jesus Christ because they believe that there is a distinction between his divinity and humanity. And here on earth, he's still divine, but his humanity is in heaven. So though they take the Lord's Supper, they do it thinking that thereby they're being blessed by thinking of his body in heaven rather than receiving it under the form of bread and wine. And this is not at all stated in this article. Yeah, a relative on my mother's side of the family uh, talked talked about how he was born again in baptism and how he made a decision for Christ. And uh, he was kind of needling me a little bit about being Lutherans and, and that we didn't dunk when we baptized. We sprinkled or poured water uh, in baptism. And after a series of questions with him about when he made a decision for Jesus in his baptism, we backed it up about six weeks to to three months before he was baptized. And he had to admit that that the Spirit had been there, that the Word of God had done its action, and finally had to admit that that us Lutherans took very serious the, the Word of God connected with the water and baptism. Yes. Do you remember what the symbol of baptism was in the early church? Wasn't it uh, a, a shell? Yes, a shell from a beach or something. Now, why would that be the symbol if they were dunking people? No. (laughs) In fact, I don't know about when you baptize an infant, but I have a shell, and I would use that to put the water over the the baby. Right. Well, to me, it was just always a miracle that, that when we were baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the the, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is entering into that child's heart. Yes. Now, one of the items he talks about is what he refers to as the apologetics movement. He says it's not a denomination, but a movement within a lot of churches, seminaries and particularly on the Internet. What is meant by the apologetics movement? Well, he learned uh, about the key uh, arguments for the existence of God, the cosmetological argument, the, the argument for design, the moral argument, the ontological argument, and so forth. He learned about the historical evidence of for Jesus. So uh, I guess it's digging up something out of the ground and saying, oh, there were Christians here and there's Jesus. Yeah, he even refers to, in apologetics, 
the scientific evidence that confirmed the Christian God's existence. Now, I don't know of any evidence that does that. Right. And, and even if you, you find something that, that has a historical significance to it, uh, like uh, there's an article out there that that a monastery was started that they um, that they've been digging in Iraq that was uh, there before Christian um, a monastery it was there before uh, Mohammedism and Muslim faith had even been researched. Therefore, Christianity was served, but. That that goes back to to his discussion on on uh, evidence of faith and and that that is around us and I don't think he takes into consideration the the spirit of God that is within us through the Word. Yes, to him reason is very important, and yet we should know from the Bible that human reason is contradictory to scriptural reason. And and therefore, as Corinthians says, nobody can understand God or learn of him uh, apart from faith of the Holy Spirit. That's the grounds for understanding. And people get mixed up, as he does, when he thinks that, well, these people have proven that God exists. Therefore, that's a good movement. And it really isn't. It takes away from the Bible rather than uses the Bible. The best example of that is Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. What does he keep telling about? The scriptures. Yes. I must... It's the road to Emmaus' disciples, but it's also in that last chapter of, of Luke where he talks to his disciples. He began to open up the scriptures to them. And what scriptures were they? It was the Old Testament. And would you say there's over 200 instances that talk about Christ's coming and Christ's yes. death and resurrection? I've got a little booklet I put together after about a year and a half of a Bible study. Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by Christ. And you're, you're absolutely correct. Then he gets into Pentecostals. What does he say about them? <laughs> uh, to experience God directly for a long time, it was hard to, to talk about the abundance of orthodoxy. He uh, turned his nose up to the supernatural in many ways, but over time he began to realize that uh, passionate, deep, experiential relationship to God. And he realized that uh, one can experience God. Yes. He says we ought to have a Pentecostal faith, a faith that believers and expects more from God than we do now. Now, I don't know what that means. How can you expect more from God than what the Bible says? That, that that too, 
I'm wondering if he's talking about the tongues movement, you know, the, the glossolalia that, that that they sometimes uh, refer to. That could be. He says, it's a dangerous level of experience which can make us feel uncomfortable. We often say it's about a relationship, and then we don't really live that out. It is a deep relationship with God pours into that relationship if we'll just dig deeper and stay longer with him. Well, I don't agree with that. God no. is the one who stays longer with us. Right. And I see people growing in the relationship with God the more they delve into the to the scriptures as they study the word, as they attend church, as they receive the body and blood of Christ as they remember their baptism. I, I say those are things that they, that teach us to, and work on deepening our faith. Yes. Then he gets into the Wesleyan holiness movement. And he says, I'm part of the Salvation Army, which is nestled within the Wesleyan holiness movement, along with denominations like Church of the Nazarene, Methodism, and Wesleyan churches. He says, I went through basic Christian training. I had studied the Christian religion in my studies at Liberty University, but it wasn't until later that something changed my faith forever. The Lord brought me before Wesleyan holiness theology. And what's the radical idea that he talks about? Uh, Christians today were not only washed clean from sin's penalty, but that in Christ, Christians can can live holy and pure, victorious over sin. Now, that simply is untrue. We cannot right. live holy and pure vic victories over sin. That's a radical proposition to me because every Christian around me including myself, was living in various active sins of the flesh. I had always been taught Christians will always keep sinning in the world. They can't stop. But he thinks in the Wesleyan church, you can stop. And that's, again, an example of not really understanding the other religions properly. So thanks so much for this article, Pastor Reimnitz. And we'll look forward to another close article to this in next week's study on Thursday. And to our people, join us tomorrow. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.
If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.